0: Thank you, you can be seated and take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 this morning will be the text, we'll read verses 18 through 20. Scripture says this, of the age. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this morning. We do thank you that on the church calendar, this day has been set aside in the history of the church uh, to acknowledge faith in this doctrine of the Holy Trinity. And we certainly Believe it. We do not want to be a people that is looking for something new. Rather, God, we want to receive what is true from your word and as what has been historically passed down to us. So help us, God, not to think we're anything special or that we can reinvent the wheel. But that we will look at your word, believe it with whole hearts, study who you are, and help us to understand. We pray this morning that your church would be built in this Trinitarian doctrine. And Lord, perhaps if someone is here this morning that doesn't know Jesus... May they be convicted of their sin, repent and trust in Christ alone to save them. We pray for these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This, uh, this Trinity Sunday is the only holy day on the Protestant church calendar that is actually set aside for a doctrine probably think that's appropriate in many ways. Um, The Trinity, certainly, uh, to human logic, can be a mystery. And yet we know, of course, that it is true. The attack on the Trinity has gone on throughout church history. Um, It's withstood the church has the attacks on the Trinity and has remained, the Trinitarian doctrine, historic, orthodox truth. And of course, we believe this to be true because it is rooted in Scripture. Arius was one of the ones that brought apart a controversy. His teaching was that the Son was less than the Father and different in substance Of course, as we read this morning, Athanasius had a bone to pick with Arius and then appropriately confronted him and eventually wrote what we read from this morning, the Athanasian Creed. And of course, it is a creed that we hold to because we believe that the Trinitarian doctrine is rooted in Scripture. Um, There's really two primary attacks on the Trinity when you think about the Trinity Um, the the two are the deity of the Son and the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Those were the two things all the way dating back when I went to Bible college in uh, the early 80s. They were recognized and dealt with, of course, um, in Christology class and pneumatology class to study the Holy Spirit. And I found this interesting, Um, I watched one of R.C. Sproul's last conferences that he did, and he was the summation speaker where he addressed that he thought the church, this was in his dying days, would still have to um, deal with the attacks against the deity of Christ. What's really interesting to me about that too is the early church wondered about the humanity of Christ, because Jesus did so many spectacular things. But of course, we know that Jesus is fully God and fully man, and, of, and that has always long been held. And the deity of Christ is certainly attacked today, if not altogether, a straight denial that Jesus of Nazareth ever existed. I think it's because that battle's had to change. Um, So they just want to wipe it out in history, like a lot of things in history um, people try to wipe out. R.C. Sproul said this, The Old Testament constantly insists that there is only one God and the self-revealed Creator. The Trinity springs from the historical facts of redemption recorded and then explained in the New Testament. And we're going to see some of this unfold for us this morning. Um, In light of that, there's Giardos Vos. I've been practicing that name all week. Um, He's got a little systematic theology and um, on reform dynamics. And he wrote a very interesting thing to me, and it's probably maybe a question that's been posed to you. Um, Why is there not decisive proof of the Trinity in the Old Testament? And he said it much better than I can, and I will not try to bore you, but I do want to read this. Giardus Vos was a pastor and theologian of the Dutch Reformed Church and you can, you can buy these. It's just a couple volumes set. I would, I would If you have or are trying to build somewhat of a theological library, even for laymen, this is just a wonderful thing. But listen to these words. In answering the question, well, the first question that he, deal, he deals with on the Trinity, why must we not seek a decisive proof for the Trinity in the Old Testament? He writes this. Because the Old Testament revelation Was not finished but only preparatory. The perfect comes only at the end. Now, to that end, he said the one doctrine, the monotheistic doctrine of the Old Testament, of creating, uh, as we know from like Deuteronomy chapter 4 and chapter 6, that the Lord our God is one, was to impress upon God's people. Because there were so many religions, in fact all the religions believed in pluralistic gods. He goes on to say this, We must not imagine that the Old Testament saints were able to read in the Old Testament everything that we can read there in light of the new. Yet when we read it, it, clearly, it is clearly the purpose of the Holy Spirit. For he had the scripture of the Old Testament written not only for then, but also for now. That is, Scripture, as Pastor Alex, as you recall last week, noted that God had intention for the Scripture that was written then. Of course, we know subsequent to the whole revelation, being in the Godhead, would know there would be a full revelation. We can take, as even Andrew mentioned in our Bible class this morning, it's important to read the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the promise, the New Testament is, of course, the fulfillment, and Scripture teaches this. Um, When you're thinking about the Trinity and you look at Scripture, the Trinity functions in two areas, and really two areas only. Um, They function in the creation, and then they function in redemption, That is, everything that the Trinity does falls under those two categories. And I found this to be a very helpful Bible outline for those of you that enjoy taking notes. And to bear in mind, when when you're just simply reading Scripture, much less, of course, studying it, and that Bible outline is creation, fall, redemption, new creation. The Trinity is at work and all of those, and, and that kind of gives you a, just a singular Bible outline of creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. Of course, we're still living in an area where redemption is going forward. There will be people this morning across the globe through the preaching of the gospel that will come into the family of God. They will recognize their sin, repent, and trust in Jesus. Of course, though, this is not just chaos that is going on, that we are on an eschatological time frame where God will bring the end of this age to the beginning of the next age. So we want to have a succinct and accurate description of the Trinity without trying to to over-explain it, And so what I want to do this morning for for us is to really focus about two things. First of all, we're going to look at what is the Trinity. And then secondly, we're going to look at why the Trinity matters. So what is the Trinity and why the Trinity matters? Now, for our text this morning, we're only going to use Matthew 28. I will refer to several texts so that you can have the notes of those. But for time's sake, I kind of want to just move through this. So, uh, what is the Trinity? Well, to deal with what is the Trinity, I think the first thing we want to do is deal with what is a false view of who God is. And they really fall in two categories. Okay, The, The first category is modalism, which says this, God is one person. Father manifested to us. And so sometimes he will manifest himself as father. Sometimes he will manifest himself as son. Sometimes he will manifest himself as spirit. He's one person with three manifestations. Oneness, Pentecostalism, and there's others that hold to these kinds of things. And of course, it's, it's error, it's, it's not true. And that title is modalism. On the opposite end of that is tritheism. Tritheism, which is God is three distinct persons with no unity of essence. They're three powerful deities, and they don't always function in unity. Okay, those are things that we would want to always guard against. And we know, I'm sure most of you know anyway, that the word Trinity is not used in Scripture. But certainly it's, it's taught. And there's debates as to where we first heard the word Trinity. Uh, there was a guy named Theophilus, and it's not the guy that's mentioned in the book of Acts. And there was also, of course, Tertullian, an early church father, that coined and used the word Trinity to respond. But I want to give you a, 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 a just a, a quick definition as to what the Scripture teaches about the Trinity. The Trinity is one in essence, we believe in one God, three persons, one God, three persons who are co-eternal, co-equal, and that they only work in perfection with one another and in love and unity with each other. Okay, So when we're thinking about God, of course, God has no beginning and God has no end, but it wasn't in eternity past that God got bored, but rather they had and worked in perfect loving relationship with one another, and you see this in Acts chapter 2 verse 23, that there was, through redemption, the foreordained plan of God uh, to redeem God's people. But the relationship of the Godhead only ever worked in perfection and love and unity with one another. That's why the church should reflect love and unity with one another, because that's our God who we hold to. We see this both in creation, we see this in redemption. There's two things that stand out then for us of the Father, Son, and the Spirit as they only ever work together their movements are perfect with one another they only do it out of love for one another so we see a unity in the sense it's one in essence our God is one yet we also see the distinction that there are three persons so one plus one plus one equals one B.B. Warfield, of Princeton University professor. He was the principal of Princeton's Theological Seminary when it was really the chief theological seminary of the Presbyterian Church. Many think of B.B. Warfield as the smartest theologian in American history. He writes this, There is but one God that the Father and the Son and the Spirit is each a distinct person, we have enunciated the doctrine of the Trinity in its completeness. So why the Trinity matters is because it's rooted in Scripture. And for the rest of our focus now, we want to look at the Trinity in light of redemption. Okay, We want to look at the Trinity in light of redemption. Of course, Jesus... Let us know this in Matthew chapter 28, where he says this, "...all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." Why is the Trinity important? Why does the Trinity matter? Because the gospel itself, which we just read, which is the great commission of the church, is God's. It's not ours. And all three are involved in our own personal conversion in the conversion of the church. And the Trinity, think about this. They have never had a movement apart from one another that they didn't, function in complete perfection, love, and unity. That's why we are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because we are saved by God. We are saved by this triune Godhead. Hermann Bavink, a Dutch Christian Reformed theologian and churchman, wrote this. In the doctrine of the Trinity beats the whole revelation of God for the redemption of humanity. And really only a Reformed view of the doctrine of the Trinity really helps us understand how the Trinity works together. In my thoughts, at least outside of Reformed theology, the doctrine of God the Father gets completely skewed. The Trinity was involved in our resurrection and will be involved in our resurrection as well as Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Let me give you this. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 says, God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. John 10, 17 and 18, the Son, Jesus, says He raised Himself from the dead. And then in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Well, that alone would prove that Father, Son, and Spirit are God because only God can raise people from the dead. All persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, are involved in our redemption. So when we're thinking about the the Trinity as to how they function in redemption, we want to bear in mind that the Trinity acts with one another, not on top of each other. The Trinity acts with one another. Each person in the Trinity has a work in saving a person. And we only find this from the scripture. It is the Father who sends the Son. And we hear words like this that is, that is tied to the Father and tied to God um, in the Scriptures. He is the one who foreknows or foreordains or possesses foreknowledge. He is the one who predestines. He is the one who election derives from. He is the one who chooses God the Father is the one who we are adopted into the family of God. He is the one who is governing all things and bringing this age to an end to lead us into the new age. Before I move on from this, because we want to wholeheartedly believe this, foreknowledge means the forelove. That is an eternity past. God himself had a a foreordained love designated for us. It wasn't as if God would look through a crystal ball and see who would choose him. Rather, he saved us out of this love. And of course, many people will avoid such words as foreknowledge or foreknows or foreordains and predestines and election and choosing. But we must not fear the words of God. This is how our God has saved us. And the gospel being God's, it it lets us know the Trinity In understanding the, the, the Trinitarian doctrine, it helps us to understand how God has saved us. Secondly, the Son who was sent is the one who secures. He redeems. He ransoms. He reconciles. Christ alone is the one who saves. It is Jesus who accomplished the work of salvation. Being born a human through His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension, and ultimately His return. It is the Son who has secured our salvation. And in short, it is Jesus How a person can come to know who God is. Because Jesus is the one that the Father has sent. Jesus is the one who has accomplished all of the work. And then of course, as we had last Sunday, where the Son ascended, the Spirit descended. It is the Spirit who sanctifies. The Father who sends. The Son who secures. It is the Spirit who sanctifies. He regenerates our hearts. He convicts us of our sin and convinces us that Jesus is the only way to salvation. He baptizes us into the body of Christ, giving us a a secure union with Christ. He is the one who indwells us. He is the one who seals us till the day of redemption. When we either leave this life or when Jesus returns. What's important, I think, to note through the abuse of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lifetime is that the Holy Spirit is the silent member of the Trinity that never speaks of Himself, but points us to Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit that regenerated every one of our hearts to the truth of the Gospel. It was the Holy Spirit's Irresistible grace that that enabled us to repent and acknowledge of our sin and see a need for the forgiveness of our sin that only comes through Christ and Christ alone. Salvation's plan extended from eternity past, it will extend into eternity future. Friends, this is the Holy Trinity. This isn't just a doctrine. Man, this is our life. This is who we are because we have God in our lives. This is how God Himself has saved each one of us. It's more than just a ministry. It's more than just some sort of mind-bending math problem. This is our God. This is the Holy Trinity. It is the Father who loves us and gave us His Son. John 3.16 It is the Son who loves us and gave Himself to us. That's Galatians 2.20 It is the Spirit who loves us, whose love has been shed abroad in our hearts through our faith in Christ. Romans chapter 5. Verse 5. Well, why does the Trinity matter then? Let me give you three things and we'll close this morning. Three things. Why does the Trinity matter? And I think they're, I think they're essential. I think until you get the, the Trinity right for yourself and how He works both not only in creation but in redemption, you can get off base in understanding what the Scripture actually means. Why does the Trinity matter? Because the Trinity lets us know God's story. In Father, Son, and Spirit, we know that this is God's plan for redemption. Of course, again, only working in perfection and love and unity with one another. It's because of the Trinity that we can recognize those that fall for a false story. That is, that there's salvation apart from God. Or that salvation is given to any other. It is only through the Trinity that we see false stories. So the Trinity matters for knowing God's story. The Trinity matters for understanding false stories. And friends, let me just say this, church, to each of you. The Trinity matters for living your life story. Inside of God's story. I don't care what you do for a living. I don't care what you do uh, for income, obviously, honest income. But the Trinity matters to you so that you are faithfully living out your life story inside of God's story. And I trust and pray that that is the goal of all of our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the Trinity. We're thankful that, Heavenly Father, You did send the Son. We're thankful Jesus as Son, You secured by accomplishing all the work necessary for our salvation. That, Holy Spirit, You have come and You are the One who has convicted us of our sin and convinced us of the truth of the Gospel, and that salvation is only in Christ alone. We know, our God, that we're not living life aimlessly. But You desire on our part as Your people, Your church, to live our life story inside of the grander story of redemption that You have provided for us. You are worthy of our worship, You are our Lord, you are our God. It's by your Trinitarian work we are saved and we are secure forevermore. Bless, Lord God, this morning your people as they come to the table to dine. May we be built in holding fast to the Trinitarian faith that the Scriptures teach us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, you may rise and go receive the elements.